Hello, and welcome back to Archives of Fabella. Continue your journey back in time to this magical world on patreon.com slash Fabella. It's just $3 a month. Be sure to subscribe and rate the podcast on your listening platform. Thumbs way up and all the stars for Archives of Fabella. Author Malcolm Gladwell is famous for his theory that it takes 10,000 hours to be considered a professional at something. I'm new to this whole podcast thing, so bear with me. I'm going to get better. This show is good now, but just wait until episode 10,000 when I'm narrating goblins in space, because that stuff is going to be straight fire. We're going to break with the established format for this week's episode to do something a little different. Archives of Fabella really started off as a novel series, and there are two books in the series right now. I try to find a good balance in promoting these books every episode because many people don't like to be sold to, which I get and completely understand. But if you enjoy what you're hearing so far, I really suggest that you give these books a shot. So I want to give you a little taste of what you're missing. I'm going to read from the first seven chapters of Dawn of Fabella as an audiobook. If you like what you hear, please buy the book on Amazon. It doesn't have many reviews yet, so I really appreciate your help in changing that. Donna Fabella follows Emmett, a cursed fawn, as he joins a motley group of people to defend Fabella from the invasion of warmongerers calling themselves the Titans. Those of you familiar with ancient Greek mythology will absolutely love this because we see the origin of the Olympians from a really unique point of view. Emmett is a character near and dear to my heart. He's my guy. My hero, he doesn't always do the right thing, as evidenced by what happens here, but he's got a good heart. He just has difficulty balancing that with a tough exterior. Who among us doesn't struggle with that? You get a lot of good stuff here. There's murder, time travel, magic, somebody gets mauled to death. It's gonna be a really good episode. Next to the creation of Abella, these chapters detail maybe the next most important turning point in the history of this world. Even more important than the first birth. So please, sit back and enjoy. I'm Dylan Foley, and this is Archives of Fabella. Beyond our world, there is love. Beyond our world, there is war. Beyond our world, there is life. Beyond our world, there is Fabella. Part 1 Origin Chapter 1 1 FY Fabella Year Not many people remembered their birth, but one fawn did. 
His ebony body cracked to life from the bark of a tree. Warm, tropical wind whipped past stubby, raisin-black horns. Long fingers freed themselves from the tree trunk. Jet black, hairy shins ending in hooves fell beneath him. The fawn emerged into life in the form of a kid of approximately 10 years old, not a baby. Blazing pain seized him. The second sunlight hit his cobalt blue irises. A couple moments passed before he bravely overcame the sting of using his eyes for the first time. The rising sun streaming through the lush canopy of mangrove trees lit up his dark face. Vibrant flowers in every color bloomed around him. Dust glittered in the still air. The rich soil and soft emerald green grass sagged under his freshly created black body. A teen boy wrapped in a sky blue robe with a gilded collar and lilac cuffs towered over him. His messy, licorice black hair hung over his dazzling sapphire eyes, only emphasized by his golden bronze skin color. This boy didn't appear to be blessed with any supernatural abilities. He was human. Welcome, dear Fawn. Welcome to Fabella said the human boy. With those few words of comfort, the boy trailed off through the ferns and flowers populating the jungle until he inexplicably vanished. The wild, untamed world shifted into focus. Fresh emerald green leaves, moss, and grass coated everything around the fawn. Aside from the minuscule bit of tree bark behind a tower of ivy, flowers added the only color other than green. Red, blue, yellow, and violet petals drifted freely through the humid tropical air. Some tulips and daisies loomed large as trees. A few humongous mushrooms even provided much-needed shade from the punishing sunlight streaming through the palm tree canopy above. According to the human boy, the name of this world was Fabella. The fawn mouthed the word with his lips. Fa, bell, ah, Fabella. The incredible merging of colors made him weak. Coconuts lost their grip on the palm trees above. One almost hit him in the head. The fawn craned his neck up to the heavens to glimpse curious blue primates scurrying in the canopy. Other life besides him lived in this mystic world. With a great amount of difficulty, he summoned the power to rise to his own two hooves for about three seconds before tipping forward. Standing took a lot of hard work. Still, he persevered and kept trying to rise. On his twelfth attempt, he enjoyed sweet success in finding the right balance. Walking turned out to be a different story. The fawn wobbled a bit as he dragged one hoof forward. He fell again, but pulled himself back up to take another step and another. The ground shook violently beneath his hooves. 
Devon spun around just in time to see a stampede of centaurs as they came galloping through the jungle. Centaurs, an odd cross between humans and horses, kicked up a cloud of dust as they ran. Each of the half-breeds appeared to be a boy or a girl from the waist up but their lower body took the form of a colt or filly. The fawn stumbled clumsily about as he struggled to teach himself how to run. To his complete and utter astonishment, the fawn discovered his ability to sprint at a breakneck pace. The stampeding centaur speed matched his own as they raced together over upturned roots and dry leaves. The fawn paused his mad dash at the foot of a gorgeous waterfall. Water rebounded off massive boulders on its way to a crystal clear stream. The sun's playful rays shimmered on the surface. A cool mist sent shivers down his spine and spread goosebumps all over his toasted brown body. The centaurs plowed unrelentingly through the river. An explosion of shimmering droplets burst forth as the herd galloped into the opposite shore. An innate animal sense pulled the fawn west in the same direction. Something in his heart propelled him forward. People, great and small, were birthed to life out of the palm trees, sand, dry leaves, and bright flowers. The whole world sprung to life. Everywhere the fawn looked, a brand new child climbed out of puddles, rocks, and clouds of dirt. The fawn instinctively knew every species of people by name. No adults existed. All forms of life, even the animals, awoke to life as younglings. The fawn bolted through the wild, untamed jungle. Great flora and fauna smacked him in the face, and bright, beautiful flower petals floated autonomously through the heavy, humid air. He needed to find the boy. Only that mysterious teen might make sense of this crazy world. He ran until the clear blue sparkling seawater lapped at his hooves. Crowds of boys and girls of various humanoid species gathered around a sun-bleached boulder on the beach. They all watched and waited for something wonderful to happen. The fawn found himself stuck in the middle beside a thin elven boy about a head taller than him. Elves looked just like humans, except for their pointed ears. The tall, slender elf boy next to the fawn smiled weakly. He returned the smile. For some reason, it made him feel comfortable. A large fire crackled nearby. Children closest to the blaze yelped as embers singed their arms. The fawn distanced himself from the oddity. Watching a couple boys writhe about in pain was enough to convince him fire was a bad thing. A dazzling explosion of blinding blue light burst to life on the beach. In its wake stood a black-haired teenage boy in his sky-blue robe. Welcome to Fabella. I am Lord Lucas, your almighty god of light. May my name protect you. Let your lives be free and blessed with goodness. Lucas. The fawn liked repeating new names. All of time has culminated in the creation of this new world I have spoken into existence. 
Lord Lucas paraded around the crowd of children. Fabella is everything. Everything you hear, taste, smell, and feel is Fabella. The fawn picked up a leaf from the ground and stuck it in his mouth. Fabella tasted okay. Then again, this was the first thing he'd eaten. Lucas gestured to a dwarf with a sandy skin to his right. This is Cole. He's the first living child, and he is your chief. One look at the stocky, four-foot dwarven Cole made the fawn think Lord Lucas needed a bit more practice in creating people. Everyone watched as the tribe's chosen primordial leader got knuckle-deep into digging boogers out of his nose. Cole was no masterpiece. Listen to him. Continued Lord Lucas. Help each other. Fill the world and subdue it. Be kind to all. In this world, you will have troubles. Don't be surprised when they come. Learn to deal with setbacks, and you will have a life full of glory. You're all part of my grand masterpiece. There's no room for terror because I'm by your side. The fawn had the sudden desire to touch his grand creator with his bare hands. He staggered forward, lost in wonder, in the face of the divine creator of the world, pushing aside other boys and girls desperate to lay his hand on the hem of Lucas's sky-blue robe. A pinky finger length away from the Lord of Light, the fawn tripped and fell to his face. Lucas parted the throngs of people and helped the fawn up to his hooves. The warm, graceful touch of his almighty creator on his bare shoulders filled him with love. You will stumble in this life, but the most important thing is how you pull yourself up. Care after this world, good fawn. I entrust this responsibility to you. Rest easy, my son. This is the beginning of something good. With those final words, Lord Lucas faded into nothingness. The fawn, Cole, and all the other children would need to fend for themselves in the tropical paradise. None of them knew how to make a fire or build a shelter. Everyone would have appreciated a little direction, but Lord Lucas, in his infinite wisdom, left everything up to a dwarf with a vacant space between his ears. Doubt began to enter the fawn's mind over how this new world might work, and he hadn't even been alive for one hour. Dim-witted Cole just stood awkwardly on the rock, not knowing what to do. So, um, I'm hungry. Is anybody else hungry? Claps of thunder echoed through the sky. Rain pelted down and bolts of lightning crackled overhead. The young fawn fell to the muddy ground as the crowd scattered in all directions. No one in the world had experienced a thunderstorm before. 
Rain drenched the tropical island. Lightning flashed in terrifying bright blues, oranges, reds, and yellows. Storm clouds blocked out the sky and plunged the world into near darkness. Nobody had any parents to crawl beside. Safety could only be found with each other. Meanwhile, the fawn searched in vain for a place to find shelter from the rain. Caves were the natural place to drift toward because they were the only dry place in the jungle. All the caves were full of people. Everyone looked to Cole for leadership, a role he could not possibly hold. Chief Cole jabbed a thick, shaking finger at the fawn. Lord Lucas said that fawn would save us. All eyes shifted toward him. The fawn had no idea what to do. Criticizing Cole was easy when the job of providing shelter to the tribe rested on his shoulders. Now that the responsibility shifted to him, the fawn realized how difficult being a leader could be. He backed away from the rabid crowd of youngsters and dove inside a cave. There was only one small spot left next to the elf he stood beside during Lucas his speech, the elf scooted over to give the fawn more room. My name is Fadir, introduced the elf. What's yours? A name lingered on the end of the fawn's tongue as he said it out loud for the first time in his life. My name is Emmett. Chapter 2 Year 25 FY Fabella Year The people of the tropical island decided to call their tribe Adele. If you couldn't stand up and walk on two feet, you were an animal, not a person. Being considered a person mattered a lot in the creation age of Fabella. If you weren't a person, you were food. Nine species of people existed in Fabella. Merfolk. These were amphibious humanoids with two webbed feet, permitting them to walk on the surface. Tentacles, teeth, and shells from slain predators of the deep adorned their bodies as clothing and primitive jewelry. They rarely left the water because merpeople went into respiratory shock when their skin got too dry. It was only safe for them in the rain. Harpies, wings layered with feathers, spanned across the backs of every harpy. Harpies flew so fast that whatever they wore came right off. Many of them soared around buck naked. The second they lifted off the ground, these bird people flapped away from the island to explore other parts of Fabella. Humans Due to their unremarkable stature and slower running speed, human beings encountered a tremendous amount of trouble trying to contend with other people. In fact, all Adelans considered humans to be weakest of the full-sized people. They wore whatever they killed, mostly animals that posed little threat and were easy kills. Fawns Male bucks and female does had horns in a variety of shapes. 
Fawns walked on hooves attached to a pair of hairy bowed legs starting under the knee. Their sharp horns made fawns excellent hunters. Bucks and their doe mates showcased monster pelts with pride to elevate their status in the tribe. The fiercer the monster, the more respect that fawn earned. Elves Standing at approximately the same height as an average man, elves appeared to be similar to humans. They lacked the ability to grow any hair except the kind atop their heads. What hair they had ranged in every shade of the rainbow. Many elves' hair color adopted a royal blue or a rich violet hue. Goblins Predominantly dark green, wrinkly, knuckle-dragging goblins would stick to cavern walls with the unique adhesive on the tips of their hands and toes. Most of their days were dedicated to developing stone tools and jewelry. They didn't wait for things to happen, they made things happen. Dwarves Dwarfs were male and gnomes were female. Dwarves took immense pride in the length of their facial hair. Gnomes let their hair atop their heads grow long. A tangled mess of dwarven manes made them appear about a foot or so taller and thicker than in reality. Trolls. Trolls were small people with hairy bodies, protruding faces, rigid eyebrows, and feet resembling a hand good for gripping. The unique feet made them difficult to track because they left shallow imprints in the rich soil. Excellent climbers. Trolls were quite helpful in securing fruit from high to reach places. They were also the first people to experiment early on with cooking meat over the fire with varying amounts of success. Antics. Little antics had antennae atop their heads, which glowed on the ends. They developed the ability to see well at night. They could sense changes in weather patterns and burrow deep underground. Three other intelligent races existed, bringing the total of humanoid persons up to 12. However, these fell into a group all their own, called Tars, because they were deemed to be more animal and savage than the other nine. Tars lived in their own tribes, separate and cut off from the others. These three races were Centaurs, people with the upper body of a human and lower half of a horse, Minotaurs, Crude bulls and cows with the head of a bovine and thick, hairy body of men. Slithtars. Cold-blooded snake people who spit poison and only trusted their own kind. This was the way of the primal world of Fabella. Nine people doing what they could to advance society, and three tars doomed to always be excluded to the wild. The tribal society that developed here was less of a let's listen to the lord kind of society and more of a let's try it and see if we die kind of society. Emmett the Fawn gained a firmer grasp on how life in Fabella worked. Daily life was ruled by an unrelenting, often dangerous search for food. Males hunted wild game from dawn till dusk, and females broke their backs gathering fruit. Resources weren't available to make tribal roles in Adele more complex than that. The first generation of intelligent beings on Fabella grew into adults. 
Emmett morphed from the tiny ten-year-old of his birth into a proud young buck. Large black horns curved up from his forehead, a healthy beard covered his sharp jawline, and he had taken to styling his long hair into dreadlocks. A fur loincloth around his waist quickly became the preferred clothing of choice. The tropical islands punishing humidity made it too hot to wear much else. His favorite loincloth was one he made from the fur of an abata. Abata were small horses with two horns. The only problem was they were such a simple kill that their numbers on the island started to dwindle. It had become much harder to capture one than it had been five years ago. Emmett made clothing from fiercer monsters, a headdress made from the skull of a dragon for instance, but he only brought that out when he wanted to impress members of the opposite sex. Fadir and Emmett became best friends. Like most elves, Fadir grew into a tall and lean young adult. Long, greasy, violet-blue hair fell over his hypnotizing midnight blue eyes, while everyone else ran around frantically struggling to hunt. Fadir hung back and waited for prey to fall into his traps. Stress or worry about living never weighed him down. Deadfall traps were his specialty. Deadfalls used logs or rocks as weights positioned over bait and held up by a stick. Prey would be lured into the trap by bait, causing them to brush against the stick, triggering the trap and crushing the animal to death. Simple, but effective. Fadir and Emmett did everything together. Celebratory body slams took place daily. They invented the high five completely by accident. If one of them went hungry, the other went hungry. Fadir and Emmett formed a brotherhood stronger than stone. Fadir never hunted much, so the job always fell on Emmett's broad shoulders to make kills. Fadir chased around prey, crying, Suta, Suta, which in the Primish dialect translated directly to, Get it, get it. Prior to the invention of weaponry, the primitive people of Fabella only had what Lord Lucas had given them. Nothing. Emmett's black horns really came in very handy. Killing prey involved tackling it to the ground and snapping its neck. He preferred smashing his horns into its heart, but either way proved effective. This way of hunting burned a lot of energy. Emmett and Fadir hiked back home to the Adel Peninsula each evening. Most of the time, they returned empty-handed. Hunger was a feeling the two friends knew extremely well. One day, found Emmett tasked with chasing down a particularly nimble whose palum with Chief Cole and Fidir, whose palum were ape-like creatures with red fur and an oversized cranium they used to butt heads with predators. They would use their long tails to grab low-hanging branches and swing until they gained enough momentum to launch themselves head-first at advancing predators. After suffering embarrassing blows from the elusive red ape, Emmett was eager to bite into its flesh. He made several unsuccessful dives for the small creature, but it proved to be much too fast. The Huspalum scurried up a tree and vanished into the dense tree canopy. Emmett lay on the jungle floor, panting. It had been several days since he last ate. All he needed was a little food. 
Chief Cole sat on a tree limb, barely strong enough to support his weight, watching the hunt unfold. A headdress full of multicolored feathers could barely cover up the chubby dwarf's red hair. His status of the first being created on Fabella and chieftain of Adele had gone a bit to his head. The five-foot-nothing adult dwarf viciously teased everyone he met, laughing at their expense and stealing food while he was at it. <laughs> you're the worst hunter ever. Emmett dusted his butt off. I lost my balance. Cole often followed them on hunts to collect off their kills like a common scavenger. Fadir at least contributed by building traps. Red-haired Cole used his power as chief to make everyone else, namely Emmett, do the stuff he didn't want to do, privately. Emmett didn't think their dim-witted tribal chief dying would be the worst thing in the world. Cole shifted so much responsibility over to Emmett that he was practically the real chieftain of Adele. Whatever you kill today belongs to me, stated Cole. How do you work that out? Scowled Emmett. Fadir has a family of five to support, and they haven't eaten in days. Tough. Cole twiddled his stubby thumbs on the tree. I'm hungry, so that means I get whatever food I want, because I'm the chief. If you have a problem with it, go to Lord Lucas. Lord Lucas hadn't shown himself in 24 years, and Cole knew it. He viciously employed the Almighty's name to win any argument. Nobody dared go against him because it could mean going directly against their god. Fadir swooped in. Emmett sorry he raised his voice. No, I'm not, grumbled Emmett. I would have caught that Huspalum if Cole hadn't interfered with my focus. He distracted me. Cole's a bully. We'd all be better off without him. It's okay. Fadir thumped Emmett on the shoulder. You'll get the next one. Emmett forced a smile. That's what you said last time. And I'll say it again and again until you kill the biggest animal in the jungle. Fadir always took advantage of an opportunity to reinvigorate his friend's spirit. Emmett would never have survived the past 24 years without his best buddy in the whole wide world by his side. Hey guys! Cole called to them. I found something. They marched through the jungle to see Cole had in fact discovered an interesting artifact. Emmett's blue eyes fell upon a small tan object poorly hidden under leaves. Fadir picked up a stick and poked the soft exterior of the odd animal carcass several times before slipping the stick beneath a pair of floppy rib cages and lifting it up. He kept the oddity at arm's length, afraid the animal may stop playing dead and claw his face off. Shaking the animal caused a few loose innards to slip out. Cole picked up a rectangular black organ Emmett had never seen before. He bit down on the tough exterior. This is too hard. Maybe this thing is a shell, suggested Fadir. 
All we need to do is smash it, and an animal will be inside. Emmett snatched the black organ from Cole. He wound up, ready to crush it on the nearest rock. What the hell are you doing? Emmett paused mid-swing to find a teenage girl marching up to them. He had never seen this girl before. Her shoulder-length curly brown hair wasn't as greasy as all the other women. Her white skin was the palest Emmett ever saw, and she had the same midnight blue eyes as Fadir. Her dress consisted of deer hide draped over her slender frame, and a feather poking out from the back of her head seemed out of place. The girl tore the device out of Emmett's hands and swung the dead animal carcass over her shoulders, the whole time she yammered nonsense to herself. This is the last time I stash my pack in the woods. Dumb idea to explore anyway. Look at me, I'm dressed like freaking Pocahontas. Who are you? Interjected Fadir. Call me Stephanie. She couldn't be much older than 16. You three stooges didn't play with a metal disc, did you? Emmett, Cole, and Fadir all shook their heads. Stephanie performed a quick inventory of the carcass innards, which Emmett began to suspect may not actually be an animal at all. She stopped rooting through the carcass to face Emmett. Her midnight blue eyes surveyed him suspiciously for a moment. My name is Emmett, he said after Stephanie's silent judgment went on for too long. Have we met before? Asked Stephanie quizzically. Emmett couldn't recall speaking to the mystery girl. No. Stephanie threw up her hands in exasperation. How could this day get any worse? I had this whole thing planned out in my head. So much for first impressions, I guess. Emmett couldn't be more confused. I'm a traveler from somewhere. Somewhere far away. I don't think now is the right time to tell you. Jesus Christ, you guys haven't even learned how to build tents or make fire. Said Stephanie. I can make fire. Emmett felt the need to impress her. I don't know what tents are, but I could eat those too. Stephanie rolled her eyes. Well, hooray for you, Tarzan. Who is this Tarzan you speak of? Emmett scratched his head in confusion. Sounds like food, guessed Fadir. I get to eat it first, shouted a chubby coal. I give up. This isn't going the way I thought it would at all. Stephanie stalked off into the jungle. Don't follow me. Are you okay? Asked a concerned Emmett. I'm fine. Shot back Stephanie in a tone that suggested the opposite. You don't sound fine, noted Emmett. Stephanie marched deeper into the jungle. You have a lot to learn about women. Who cares about women? Wondered Emmett aloud. I like males, stated Cole matter-of-factly. Stephanie didn't answer. She faded from Emmett's sight, followed by a distant... I think she liked you, joked Fadir. Emmett socked his friend on the shoulder. Let's go home. Chapter 
everyone emerged into life with the ability to speak and communicate with each other. This simple lexicon relied on getting straight to the point. One word could have a variety of definitions. A stelwa, for example, was understood to be a negative answer to any question. This language became known as primish. For a while, all people spoke and lived together in peace. The manufacture of natural objects as tools was first developed by Entics in year two. Stone, bones, animal teeth, antlers, and horns all provided a variety of uses. The earliest stone tools were sharp flakes broken off from larger pieces by use of a hand axe. A hand axe was a jagged rock sharpened to a point strong enough to withstand blunt force. Hand axes quickly became the primary tool for art, butchery, and just about everything. Borders of the Adel tribe expanded past the peninsula to include the entire gulf of the flame-shaped island. Most hunter-gatherer groups migrated seasonally. People huddled under giant flowers, mushrooms, and nests spread out along the Domitan River. This winding stream was highly important because it provided fresh water. Pottery first started to be designed by elves in year 17. The first pots weren't decorative. They were dry, hollow, crudely formed pieces necessary to transport water from the Domitan River back to the family nest. Decorations adorned these clay art pieces when their owners desired to differentiate them from others. Families kept their own designs and it became customary for every member to have a pot of their very own. Trolls developed agriculture in year 20. They began to domesticate plants and experimented with training animals to varying degrees of success. They harvested fruit and vegetables for later distribution amongst their own kind. Harpies commanded the different species of people to split into their own little tribes. Skin color and gender didn't matter when people with horns, wings, and hooves all fought for the same food. People groups separated themselves based primarily on type. Halflings, like trolls, dwarves, and entics, got the raw end of the deal as it was assumed that their height made them weak and therefore they should be subservient to bigger, taller people. They always got bullied around and halfling tossing became a favorite pastime. Emmet and Fidir refused to be torn apart because they were different species, committed to always remaining by each other's side. Fadir was the first one in the colony to produce real-life offspring. Emmet's mates always ended up dying from disease. Lord Lucas blessed Fadir with five children, On, Rue, Trey, Foe, and Fife, with his mate, Mara. The Adelans were a polygamous culture. Males usually lay with more than one mate. Mara was Fadir's favorite, and the only one to bear offspring. Mara was the most beautiful maiden in the tribe. Her diamond-shaped face, rosy cheeks, and bright smile shined through the layers of dirt. No other mother in Adele was more patient and tender as she raised her family. 
Emmett couldn't help imagining her by his side with a mix of fawn and elf children. He could never do that to Vadir. Their friendship meant too much for Emmett to risk losing it over something as trivial as matters of the heart. One day, Fadir stepped up his hunting game, from constructing deadfall traps to inventing spears. The first spear was really nothing more than a broken branch sharpened to a point. Emmett and Fadir went into the wilderness with his family to try it out. Bugs buzzed around their heads the entire trip into the depths of the rainforest. Emmett slapped insects against his dark skin so much his whole body started to ache. Fairies flew about the jungle, darting over the sea of tropical flora and fauna. All fairies were female. Only one fairy in the colony could undergo a sex change to become the alpha male for reproduction purposes. They would hover in mid-air over an orchid in full bloom to collect the sweet nectar. Wings came in all sorts of colors and designs, which the fairy could manipulate at will. A fairy talented in this practice could shift the patterns on their wings to resemble the face of a fierce beast to frighten away would-be predators. It worked on animals, but not on little elf children. Fadir's six-year-old twins, Trey and Foe, chased fairies as the family trekked into the jungle. They never caught a single one. The two youngsters made too much noise for them to be successful. Still, it was entertaining to observe them smash their chubby little hands through orchids in an effort to catch their little sprites. Not too far now, boys. Stay where I can see you. All five of Fadir's children had violet blue hair, just like their mother and father. Eldest daughter An, in particular, had blossomed into a gorgeous teen elf. She was the spitting image of her mother, tall, lithe, and a smile that lit up the world. Emmett couldn't help calling her Mara once or twice. Out of all the children, oldest son Rue was the one Emmett liked the most. At 10 years old, Rue had grown out of the childish fairy catching phase and begun the path to become a skilled young hunter. Emmett found himself able to identify more with Rue compared to Trey and Foe. Rue took a genuine interest in learning how to hunt from Emmett. The elf boy had already killed his first Abada. Proud matriarch Mara made a cloak out of the hot and draped it over her son's narrow shoulders. Emmett carried Rue into the dense jungle on his broad back. Rue held onto Emmett's horns to keep from falling off. He ran as fast as he could to give the boy a bit of a thrill. Put me down, Uncle Emmett. I want to hunt, said Rue. Emmett deposited Rue on the ground. He did anything after Fadir's children called him Uncle Emmett. Blue-haired, diamond-faced Mara sidled up to Emmett, cradling baby Fife in her arms. On brought up the rear. The teen was almost like a second mother to her younger brothers. Emmett estimated that in a few years, she would be holding her own infant. I still say Trey and Foe are too young to be hunting. Mara closely followed her brood. I keep on having this vision of a huge bird swooping down to carry them off. 
Fadir did his best to put Mara's mind at rest. Relax. With this new spear, they'll be able to defend themselves against any beast. Emmett scoffed at the weapon. Use whatever you want, Fadir. No weapon will ever outmatch my horns. Fadir scraped a hand axe against the spear point. You can only headbutt a keythong to death so many times, Emmett. I don't headbutt my kills, I gouge them. Get your facts straight, quipped Emmett. I see no difference, retorted Fadir snidely. Chief Cole sprinted up to them. The insufferable, curly, red-haired dwarf had been more vile than usual lately. More responsibility kept being put on Emmett's shoulders. A lesser person would buckle under the weight. That stick is never going to work, said Cole. You're going to fail, and you're stupid for trying. If you're so sure that it's not going to work, then why are you following us? Asked Emmett. To steal from you if the spear works. Cole didn't even bother trying to lie. Emmett had enough. You disgraceful little... Fidir put his hand up to halt Emmett. Calm down before you say something you'll regret. Emmett wondered how long he could put up with Cole's behavior. I'm more of a chieftain than him. He always puts everything on my shoulders, and I'm sick of it. They marched further into the wild jungle, putting as much distance between them and Chief Cole as possible. Bugs continued to buzz around Emmett, biting him and sucking at his blood. The wet, humid air only made the hike worse. Insects started to make themselves at home in Emmett's scraggly beard. He could feel them crawling all over his face, cheeks, and even inside his nose. There are two things I hate about this world. Emmett crushed another random insect on his neck. One of them is bugs. Fadir paused to sharpen his wooden spear with a rock. What's the other? Emmett was inspecting the rich soil for tracks and not paying attention. What did you say? What's the other thing you hate? Loneliness. Emmett couldn't bear to look his friend in the eye. You're not alone. You've got me and my family. Fadir gestured to his five children and Mara. They all made their way through the jungle with great difficulty. We're all together in this world. I want love, confessed Emmett. I want to be a father. Fadir's face softened. The only one you need to blame for your lack of a proper mate is yourself. You can have a life with any doe back in Adele, but you're too picky. What is it that you want anyway? There are a lot of bad days here on Fabella. I need someone who, on my worst day, will still love me. Emmett reclined on a fallen tree. I'm beginning to doubt whether she exists. Fadir laughed. 
I'd believe you if you didn't have a new doe at your campsite every night. Well, I have to give them an equal opportunity to rise to the challenge of being my mate. Emmett countered with a sly grin. Have you ever thought about broadening your search to include other females? Fadir settled himself down on a log covered in thick moss. What if the right partner for you isn't a fawn? Amit tried to mentally picture himself with a human woman. How would that even work? Fadir shrugged. I don't know. Just a suggestion. What if I fell in love with an entic? Emmett chuckled, just thinking about the absurd notion. My neck would hurt from looking down at her all the time. Or a centaur mare, joked Fadir. <laughs> You'd be crushed under their body. Emmett's mind drifted off to thoughts of Mara. What about an elf? Elvin Fadir fixed his friend with a skeptical look. What do you have against elves? Emmett realized he'd put his hoof in his mouth. Nothing, nothing. They're beautiful creatures. Fadir thought about another person that would make an awkward combination with a fawn. What about... The terrifying screech of a keythong rang out as it tackled Fadir to the ground. Keythongs were male griffins, lacking the wings of the female counterparts. Keythongs came equipped with retractable spikes instead. They were among the most feared monsters lurking in the jungle. Attacking one was considered suicide. When it came to saving Fadir's life, Emmett didn't need to pause for a second. Emmett sprang into action. He dove forward, driving his sharp black horns into the feline Keithong's side, summoning all his power. Emmett threw the beast off Fadir, sending himself to the jungle floor in the process. Spikes sprouted out of the Keithong's body as it charged forward. Emmett dodged the attack and drove Fadir's spear into the beast's head. The Keithong fell dead with a loud thump. He turned to check on Fadir. Fadir lay on the ground, mauled to a bloody pulp. Mara and Fadir's five children burst through the jungle to see their dying father. Emmett stood frozen on the spot, powerless. His best friend in the world would soon be gone. Emmett. Fadir's voice weakened with every word. Come closer. Emmett staggered forward. Fadir clasped Emmett's hands, squeezing them with all his might. Watch over my family. Tears soaked the faces of Fadir's five children, faces he loved so deeply and would do anything to protect. Emmett's eyes circled through the elves. They were his children now. Fair On stared at her dying father. Bold Rue held back his feelings of sorrow to seem brave. Bright Trey, usually talkative, 
was struck silent. Mischievous foe's trademark toothy smile was gone. Baby Fife was too young to know what was happening. Then his dear friend's sweet mate, Mara, cried a waterfall of tears. Promise me, begged Fadir. I promise. Emmet felt the elf's grip slipping away. I will protect your family till my dying day. Chapter 4 The people of Fabella never buried their dead. A dark blue haze covered the jungle floor as Emmet made a fire and burned Fadir's body in a sacred funeral. left after the first Keithong's claws dug into Fadir. He couldn't even stay to mourn the death of a tribal member. Orange flames danced in the children's big eyes as they watched their father burn. It was grotesque and harsh, but so was life. Why should death be any different? Fadir's family would not go back to living in the nest they used to call home. Emmet had to do his best to accommodate them. Life under the tree-sized mushroom Emmet called home offered little shelter, but it was out of the way. Every being on the peninsula had to decide against battling the tide on the beach or retreat into the jungle to fight the wild animals. Most of Adele's population chose the latter. Many would be eager to have the mushroom as their home. Five little elven stomachs grumbled loudly. Witnessing their father's death made the children quite hungry. They had become too familiar with the feeling of empty bellies. The circumstances warranted a reward, and Emmet gave them the Abaguchi carcass he traded with a goblin for the dead Keithong. 
Abiguchis were marsupial, bear-like creatures with black and tan fur. They mostly stayed up in the trees because walking out in the open presented them as easy targets. They exclusively dined on licorice leaves, basically the worst plant Fabella had to offer because of their fuzzy exterior. Abiguchi meat was tough and hard to bite into. They didn't make for the best game, but the primitive people of Fabella couldn't afford to be selective. Yesterday, Emmett's biggest worry was how to roast meat over an open fire. Today, he had more lives than his own to care for. Nothing in Fabella mattered more than those five kids. On, Rue, Trey, and Foe eagerly bit into the marsupial's tiny arms and legs. Mara nursed little baby Fife on her breast. Emmett's stomach rumbled like a volcano, ready to erupt. What are we going to do? Wondered Mara aloud. I don't know. Confessed Emmett. Nothing is ever going to be the same. The next day, Emmett set out to be a father. Part of being a parent was making sure the children were fed, so he went out into the jungle in search of food. A bird's nest sat on the cliffside nearby. Vidir's family would love the eggs. The nest sat too low for him to reach it from the top, and too high for him to steal the eggs by climbing up a nearby palm tree. Emmett refused to give up. Clearly, the best option would be to forget the whole thing and move on. Giving up had never been a habit of his. Moments later, Emmett had a vine wound securely around his waist. He couldn't find one strand long enough to make it from the tree down to the roost, so he tied three vines together. Emmett's heart beat ferociously inside his chest as he climbed down the cliff face. The mother must have been out on a hunt because she hadn't been back to the nest in the hours it took him to prepare, but she might return any second. Touching the stone-cold eggs filled him with a sense of joy. Fadir's family would not go hungry tonight. Each egg was about the size of his forearm. Their moist shells felt like they had been dipped in fresh river water. He only carried one up to the cliff at a time. It would take several trips for him to collect all the eggs. All things considered, it was a good day. It wasn't even midday yet, and Emmett had already collected enough food for Fadir's family. Life finally went his way for once. However, not everything went according to plan. When he made it back up to the surface of the cliff, Chief Cole waited for him. Hello, greeted Chief Cole before suddenly shifting into a commanding tone. Hand over those eggs. Rage boiled within him as Emmett stared back at Cole. They're not yours. Cole's face turned redder than his hair. 
I'm the chief. I want them. They're mine. Give them to me. No, Emmett said defiantly. No? Cole had never heard the word directed at him before. Emmett tightened his grip on the eggs, tucked away in a pouch sitting on the side of his waist. You heard me. Back off. Cole moved to steal the eggs. Emmett's dark arm swung into Cole's chest to bat him away. Not hard, but with just enough force to send the dwarven leader toppling down. 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 Straight to his death at the bottom. The touch of Cole's sandy skin still lingered on Emmett's arm, so the dwarf no longer stood there. The dwarven leader's broken, lifeless face was still frozen in a state of surprise as he lay spread-eagled on the ground below. Blood poured out of Cole's body, much more than Emmett thought existed inside the dwarf. A fierce wind howled. Rain fell from the heavens, mixing with Cole's blood and creating a crimson river. A small voice rang out. What did you do to Chief Cole, Papa Emmett? Emmett whirled around to see Rue, Fadir's eldest son. He didn't realize the elven child followed him into the jungle. Rue's voice quaked in fear. You, you made Chief Cole die. Nobody had ever killed another person before. Such a thing was forbidden. What would the other people think? Emmett committed the first murder. Killing animals for food was okay, but not a person. This was something different. Mama! Rue ran through the jungle, screaming. Mama! Mama! Emmett pursued his adoptive son through the wilderness. He couldn't allow word of his misdeed to reach Adele. Rue needed to be silenced before he reached the beach. Nature turned against Emmett. Roots tripped him, and branches slapped him hard in the face. By the time Emmett caught sight of Rue again, the child already finished telling everyone in the tribe how Cole had been murdered. There he is, cried Rue. Mother Mara pulled her children close. Stay away from us, you beast. Yesterday, Emmett had been like a father to the five elven offspring. Now, he was just some savage animal. Tears welled up in eldest An's sweet eyes. Trey couldn't bear to look at him. Foe's face had not moved from the moment he heard the news. Fife would not stop bawling, and Rue's finger still hovered in the air as he identified Chief Cole's killer. He was not Uncle Emmett to them anymore. Stones, clumps of sand, dirt, and bones rained down on him as the tribe hurled everything they could get their hands on. Adelans of every shape and size attacked Emmett. Fingers clawed at his flesh. The press of their bodies made it difficult to breathe. Emmett started to lose consciousness. Soon he'd be dead. No. Emmett howled to anyone who might hear him. Don't kill me. I want to live. Let me live. 
Emmett freed himself from the clawing hands of Adele's creatures and seized his chance to flee. His hooves slipped on leaves as he scrambled to escape the tribe. Any hunter who tried to stop him fell as he charged through the crowd of people. He reached the end of the colony and looked back at Fadir's family. Mara, An, Rue, Trey, Fo, and Baby Five were the only family Emmett ever knew. When the day began, they were the most important people in his life. They all loved him like he was their father and called him Uncle Emmett. All he wanted to do was protect and care for them. Everything changed. Fadir's family gazed upon Emmett with incredible fear in their eyes. He became a monster to them, worse than the Keithong, which killed their father. A beast like him could never be anyone's father. The world spun around him as Emmett plunged deeper into the depths of the tropical rainforest. He raced through the maze of twisted branches and huge flowers. Emmett couldn't remember ever traveling to this corner of the expansive forest before. Nothing around him looked the least bit familiar. He didn't pay attention to where his hooves carried him until he ended up back at Fadir's resting place. Remnants of the fire from the day before still remained. Emmett collapsed to the ground and wept. Get up, said a voice. We need to talk. Chapter 5 Emmett suddenly became aware someone stood behind him. A sky-blue robe with lilac cuffs caught the corner of his eye. Emmett knew who it was without looking. You did something to me. I granted your wish. Lord Lucas was the same that he had been the day Emmett was born. It was always going to be this way, and I'm sorry. There's an act of good here, even though it may be hard to see right now. I don't understand. Lucas gently set his amber hand on Emmett's shoulder. This is a bad day for you, Emmett. I'm not going to argue with you about that, but I promise you things are going to get better. Great turning points of history and life are filled with tears. There are things that will make us fall and things that will make us soar. No man or beast alive is immune from seasons of brokenness. That includes me. You're the internal protector of Fabella now. What does that mean? Emmett rose to his hooves and turned to face Lucas. 
Lucas's long, untidy black hair blew in the wind as his bright blue eyes twinkled back at Emmett. It may not seem like it now, but this is a gift. Creation wasn't for my benefit, it was for yours. I've given life to you, and you must steward it well. I'm sorry for what happened. Really, I am. Now comes the hard part. The duty of protecting Fabella is accountable to you, and you are accountable. You're a part of this now, whether you like it or not, and must see it through to the bitter end. Answer the question, charged Emmett. Lucas sat down on a stump. I made you immortal. From now on, you are the only being of this world who can never die. Your very life essence is tied to Fabella. The shock of this truth from Lord Lucas's lips terrified Emmett to his core. If he understood Lucas correctly, the god had cursed him with eternal life. No matter what happened to him in the future, or what he did, Emmett's heart would continue to beat. His entire body trembled at this unexpected, earth-shattering news. This wasn't right. It couldn't be possible! This, this is not what I had in mind. This isn't what I wanted. Emmett didn't know whether to be furious with Lucas or completely dumbfounded. Go ahead, kill me, take it back. Couldn't even if I wanted to. Lucas remained seated on the stump. There are some laws even my divine power can't break. It really doesn't matter to me at all what you want. Things happen every day that nobody intends. Some good, some bad. Don't cast me as the villain of your story because life didn't work out the way you planned. This is my game, and you are going to play it. You're the almighty creator of Abella, aren't you? Challenged Emmett. One of them. Yes. Responded Lucas. A loud peal of thunder rippled across the island as punishing dark blue clouds gathered overhead. The dreadful sight of birds taking flight from an unseen evil added distant squawks to the sudden storm. Emmett instantly zeroed in on Lucas's cryptic reply. What do you mean by one of them? There is another creator of Fabella, revealed Lucas before hastening to add. But I have to caution you against looking for him. Dark Lord Malum is my direct opposite. He will never give you the happiness you seek. He is only committed to bringing destruction and misery upon Fabella. He's a vengeful god of disease and without mercy. 
Emmett tuned Lucas out. I don't care who or what this other creator is. He isn't the one who cursed me. No, but he was behind the anchor which led you to seek vengeance against Cole. And what made him such a terrible leader? Lucas stood up, his sky-blue robe billowed in the wind. Cole hurt people with his evil. I never should have put him in charge. That was my mistake. I am the one to punish him for his actions, not you. Killing him was an accident, defended Emmett amidst a whirlwind of panic and confusion. I know, but that doesn't make it right, charged Lucas. If I am capable of making mistakes, so are you. Now you have to atone for what you've done. There are consequences to everything. No cosmic law grants forgiveness because what you did was unintentional. To say your actions don't matter implies that they are insignificant, but you are significant. So I judge you accordingly. Even though you've really messed up, I'm not done with you yet. What happens next? Wondered Emmett. That is up to you. Lucas circled around Emmett. Every person in this world fears the unknown. You're no different in that regard. There's no repeats in life. We can move forward together, side by side, as partners to make this world a better place. We could be a team and build a paradise where living with anxiety and fear is a thing of the past. Don't you want that? I do, but not with you. Emmett could not lie to Lord Lucas's face. When I was born, you told everyone you'd be with us. Then you disappeared. We needed you to lead us. We needed you to be our Heavenly Father, and you weren't there. Why should now be any different? Lucas staggered backward. He clearly suspected that this would be Emmett's response to offering a partnership. But it was evident by the pain in his expression that it still hurt. Emmett had successfully wounded his creator the only way possible. I was there. I guided your actions of goodwill. That innate sense of compassion you have is all my doing. There's a light in the midst of all this darkness, and people need to be reminded of that. Be the one to paint that for them. I chose you because I know what you can become. That's not enough. Emmett knew the pain he was causing Lord Lucas, but kept talking anyway. You can be god of your world, but I'm going to be god of mine. A tear slid down Lucas's amber cheek. You can't do this on your own. You need me. Everything you've done and will do comes down to me. So don't act like you've done it all on your own. Independent greatness leads to an out-of-control soul. Look outside of what is possible and think about what might be. 
and go. Leave me alone and never speak to me again. Very well. I won't speak to you again until the end. With those final words, Lord Lucas disappeared in a shimmering wave of blue sparks. Chapter 6 1000 F.Y. The Bella Year The first thousand years were the hardest for Emmett. Every time a generation passed, he lost a little bit of hope. After a thousand years, he had nothing left. Emmett spent hundreds of years dwelling on Cole's murder. Immortality gave him the strength to defy an almighty god of Fabella and survive to tell the tale. The more time passed, the longer his stringy beard became, along with his filthy dreadlocks and horns. Emmett's humongous black horns were so massive, his neck broke every time he moved his head. In a few years, the bony appendages atop his head would be too heavy for him to even stand straight. No method of clipping fawn horns existed. His only goal in life was to keep his promise made to Fadir in his dying moments and protect his family. Emmett expanded his solemn vow to include Fadir's descendants. There was no way to truly safeguard the elves forever, but Emmett could ensure that Fadir's bloodline continued. Once everyone here remembered what he'd done to Cole was dead, Emmett returned to Adele to take control of it as the colony's chief. He expanded their boundaries through the jungle so that the center of Adele was no longer on the beach, but deeper inland. Adele flourished under his leadership. Chief Emmett settled Adele at the base of a rock formation that looked like a giant hand reaching up from the ground, ironically called God's Hand. His people lived in hanging tents, suspended from trees, clay homes, tents, grass huts, and burrows. By the year 1000, Adele had wheels, domesticated animals, stone tablets, and a pictographic writing system. Emmett supplied his people with harpoons made of antlers fashioned on the end of a sturdy stick. Poultry was largely raised for meat. Trained dogs followed their masters on hunts. It was always easy to see a canine gnawing on a bone outside a tent or a clay hut around Adele. Emmett adopted a spotted lap pro dog for companionship he named Prig. 
Lapros were among the first canines domesticated on the island. The typical male Lapro had brown fur with black spots and a thin mane running down the back of the tail. Their short hair made the tropical environment easy to stand. Lapros spent most of the day sleeping in trees. Hunting was a sport they mostly undertook at night. A pack of Lapros helped bring in more food to the tribe. Prig was the alpha male of his pack making him the perfect fit for Emmett. With the dog by his side, Emmett had complete command over Adele's lap pro pack. There were rare times when he thought that he could actually understand the canine's barks and growls. Prig was a loyal friend even though he was a dog, with Prig curled up at his hooves eating a slab of meat off the bone and his tribe working away, Emmett was finally at peace. Taking Prig on hunt through the jungle was always the highlight of Emmett's day. Fadir's descendant, an elven boy named Miko, had just turned 12 and it had become tradition for Emmett to take all descendants out to the site where Fadir died. They needed to know their history and how important their ancestor had been to their chief. Emmett always left out the story of how he killed Cole. He didn't want to remember the biggest mistake in his life. It was too painful to think about and should be forgotten. So he let the tale fade into myth and legend throughout the island. Look, Miko, this is where your ancient ancestor met his end. The clearing where Fadir had been mauled so many centuries ago had barely changed. It was still surrounded by lush green ferns and towering begonias. He made me promise to watch over your family and I keep my vows. That's important for life because it fosters trust, the bedrock of any relationship. Listen to me, for I am your eternal guardian. I can't prevent you from dying, but I pledge to do what I can to make sure nothing bad happens to you. That not only goes for you, but your descendants as well. Prig's whole canine body suddenly stiffened with alert. Get behind me. Emmett knew to trust Prig's senses, this deep in the jungle teeming with monsters. Something zoomed through the air and hit Prig. The proud dog collapsed to the unforgiving jungle floor. Bones in his ribs broke with a horrifying snap. An electrified net covered the spotted Lapro from head to tail. Shockwaves of electricity sent spasms of pain tearing through his canine body. Emmett raced to tear the net off Prig, but a shockwave slammed into his chest. The electric shock propelled him head over hooves into a palm tree so forcefully it snapped in half. A mountain of a man, clad head to foot in black armor hovered over him and little Miko. The armor looked more like the exoskeleton of an insect. A mask covered half the man's face. The nasal area had a sharp curve to it, and a pair of ears shot straight up. This was a different kind of monster than one Fabella had ever known before. 
Emmett rose to his hooves. The man broke into mirthless laughter. His thin lips peeled back, revealing a set of sharp teeth. A pair of sneakers crunched down on loose gravel. Emmett's eyes angled up blue jeans and passed a black leather jacket over a sunshine yellow blouse to land on a head full of bushy brown hair. Sunlight bounced off the finely polished six-inch chrome wand in between this mysterious girl's nimble fingers. Music blared out of a metal disc in the pack slung around her narrow shoulders. The curly-haired girl raised her wand. So too. Three yellow arrows zoomed out of nowhere. All three arrows bounced off the man's heavy armor. He tried firing his weapon at her. Error two. The teen girl produced a force field to block the sizzling shockwave of energy. Then she countered with a flow of searing hot magma. Termina Bandu. The hulky man could encounter the girl's superior fighting skill. She commanded an outstanding ability more powerful than the strongest man in the world. Emmett couldn't help but stare awestruck at her effortless command of such incredible power. The girl blocked every shot from the man's electrified weapon with ease. She actually seemed to be having fun facing off against the hulking villain. Her curly brown hair bounced as she bobbed and wove left and right. A mechanical hum reached Emmett's ears. Palm trees crashed to the ground as a flying craft smashed its way into the jungle clearing. It looked like an egg. The sheer size of the monstrosity blotted out the blazing hot sun. Emmett couldn't see if anyone lingered behind the controls. You dirty, rotten cheater! Screamed the girl over the thundering crescendo of fallen trees. What's wrong, Set? Big man can't handle a little girl? You pussy. The man, whom the girl called Set, vanished aboard the oblong craft in a shimmering beam of light. The boisterous teen girl gave him a middle finger salute as the craft blasted off into the sky. She joined Emmett's side by Prig. He'll be back, and stronger than before. Emmett tore the electrified net off Prig. He picked up the curious contraption, examining every facet of it. The netting was made of a flexible material he had never seen before. The holes were only wide enough for his finger to stick through. The net still contained a charge, burning his hands an ugly charcoal black. His burnt skin instantly healed when he took it away from the net. This was something from another world. Hey kid, you want some chocolate? The girl reached into her tan pack for the treat. My mom packed me a sack lunch for time traveling, but she always forgets I hate almonds. Miko nibbled away at the almond chocolate bar. Emmett tossed his net aside and focused on the girl. He'd seen her before. She said her name was Stephanie, but it couldn't possibly be the same teen girl. That had been hundreds of years ago. I've seen you before. 
What's your name? Oh, good, we've met. I was really afraid I screwed up the time and space continuum. The girl wiped sweat off her brow. Good thing I wore my lucky bra, right? Your name? Repeated Emmett. The name's LaFleur. Stephanie LaFleur. It was the same teen girl Emmett had met years ago. She couldn't possibly be immortal like him. This Stephanie LaFleur person was something different. Now would be a good time to tell me where you're from, ordered Emmett. Stephanie heaved a long sigh. I'm from the future. Emmett didn't quite know how to react to this news. His eyes swept up and down Stephanie's trim physique, covered by yellow, blue, and black clothing he'd never seen before. She didn't seem to pose a threat. I've lost ten pounds. No magic needed. Don't I look great? Stephanie spun around in front of him. Body by time machine. Think I'll call it the Chrono Diet. Are you like the man who attacked us? Grilled Emmett. Stephanie was actually offended he would suggest such a thing. Set is a monster. He's a demon of a man who only wants to maim, destroy, and conquer the world. Emmett recalled the name she used. Set. That's the name of the man who attacked you. Sort of. I've already said too much. Emmett cradled Prig in his arms. That shell he wore and craft he flew away on, those aren't from Fumbella, are they? No, Set is not from Fabella. Chapter 7 I gotta trim those horns of yours. I can't take you seriously with those huge things atop your head. Stephanie said before sweeping her wand through the air. Emmett's huge horns fell to the ground, reducing the black bony appendages on his forehead to stubs. With the weight gone, he was able to stand up straight and move his head without breaking his neck. Stephanie stuck around to shed some much-needed light on her identity and purpose. All right, I'll try to walk you through this the best way I can. They spoke in the cavern under God's hand so the inhabitants of Adele wouldn't overhear them. Prig lay unconscious by Emmett, warmed only by the light of the crackling fire Stephanie created by pointing her solid chrome wand at kindling and whispering a strange word. Stephanie began by picking up an arrow. What is this? An arrow. Emmett seated himself by the fire, ready to soak up everything. 
The first bow was made from a tree branch and strung with dried muscle sinew. Arrows were simple sticks with their ends sharpened into points. It was a primitive, but effective, new weapon capable of taking down prey from a distance. Did you have bows and arrows when you were first created? Inquired Stephanie like she already knew the answer. No. Responded Emmett. Right. Stephanie paced around the cavern. The bow and arrow is one example of how Fabella has developed over time. This is going to keep happening. Every year will bring more weaponry and art. Set comes from a place where so much time has passed that his people have technology and knowledge far more advanced than anything on Fabella. Emmett thought he understood. You mean strange nets, balls of lightning, and flying eggs? Among other things, said Stephanie. Am I going too fast? No. To be honest, she was going a little fast, but Emmett didn't want her to think that he was dumb. You said earlier that Set didn't come from Fabella. Where is this place that he's gained all this knowledge? It's called Arentium. Reported Stephanie. Arentium. Repeated Emmett. How do I describe this? Stephanie thought to herself for a brief moment before continuing. Fabella is a world full of life. Arentium is sort of the same thing. That world is dying though. People there can't survive on their own, so they need to collect resources from other worlds. Like Fabella, asserted Emmett. Like Fabella, echoed Stephanie. How do I get to Arentium? Emmett wanted to tear apart every person in that world for Set's trespassing. Set came to Fabella. The worlds must be connected somehow. There is a connection. Stephanie started to say something else, then changed her mind and said, You must stay away from Arentium. The more distance you keep, the better off you'll be. Believe me. You'll go nuts and create a huge mess. Why would you think that? Asked Emmett. Because it's what you always do, screeched Stephanie. Some problems can't be solved by creating as much chaos as humanly possible. Most can. Stephanie took off her black shoe and beat Emmett over the head with it. Every word out of her mouth was punctuated by a rubber sole to the cheek. Do you remember why you're... Immortal! Ow! Emmett shoved Stephanie away. Stop it! Stop it! Stephanie relented. You created your own mess, Emmett. As long as your first reaction is violence, you'll always be creating more enemies. You killed Cole. Payback's a bitch. Keep it up and see what the consequences will bring. I guarantee you they won't be pleasant. Emmett massaged parts of his cheek where Stephanie hit him. How do you know about Cole? I know everything about you, Emmett, said Stephanie. Your capacity to love is greater than your capacity to hate. That's the real difference between you and Set. You can fight, but you do it because you care, not because you want to be a bully. What are you? Emmett knew Stephanie couldn't be a normal girl. 
Are you a goddess? I'd like to meet the guy who thinks so. Quipped Stephanie. I'm your granddaughter. Emmett couldn't hide his surprise. My granddaughter? But I don't have any children. How could you be their child if they don't exist? Stephanie gave him a wry smile as she dug into her pack. I came from the future with this little titanium beauty. Cradled in Stephanie's hands was a rounded device fashioned out of material like the shiny wand. Firelight rebounded off the solid, smooth exterior. In the center was another, smaller, red circle. Emmett reached out to touch it, but Stephanie tore it out of his arm's reach to show him how it worked. I can part the titanium disc into two halves like an accordion, see? I've got a dock to charge my phone, can't use any apps that need an internet connection, but at least I can play music. This screen helps me pull up my destination. Then I press this fancy red button, and presto. I added a bumper sticker on the back to make it cute. It's pink and says, I make time traveling look sexy. Stephanie squealed with glee. I'm a time traveler. Emmett couldn't be more lost. What does that mean? Okay, I can see I'm losing you. What's something that happened in your past? Grilled Stephanie. The day for dear died. Emmett felt sullen and miserable, thinking about that fateful day. Ugh, don't be such a bummer. Pick something better than that. Don't you have any fun memories? Prompted Stephanie. Emmett thought for a minute. There was this one time when Fadira and I were trying to make a fire, so we have no idea what we're doing. Fadir thinks that if he waves a stick around in the air that will make fire somehow. <laughs> so he's standing there, waving the stick around, and he hits an elf girl in the head. That's how we both met Mara. The memory was so fresh in Emmett's head that he could see it. He was a thousand years old and could remember that day almost as if it had just happened. Every speck of dirt on Mara's diamond-shaped face as a child and the look of complete surprise on Fadir was permanently etched in his mind. Even though they were long gone, his dear friends were still with him. I could go back to that moment, even the day you killed Cole. Every moment in the past and future is open to me, explained Stephanie. Emmett paced around the cave in bewilderment. So that's how you were able to appear so many years ago and still be a teenager? That's right, said Stephanie. Emmett felt more empowered now that he'd gotten something right. And... You're my granddaughter from the future. Right again, said Stephanie brightly. You and I are going to be best friends. I'll be like your conscience. This is going to be so much fun, pounded Gramps. Stephanie thrust her fist forward. Emmett thought that she was throwing a punch and bat her hand away. Stephanie withdrew her hand. We'll work on that. What is that gray stick? Inquired Emmett. That's my wand said Stephanie offhandedly. It's chrome. I can use magic without it, but the wand helps with target practice. Magic? This was the first time Emmett heard of such a thing. 
it's a power I have. Stated Stephanie. I can make things happen just by saying a word. Things you could only dream of. Can anyone use this magic? Wondered Emmett aloud. Not everyone, no. Stephanie sat cross-legged on the cave floor. I don't really know how many people are able to be witches and wizards, and some aren't. Magic biology is weird that way. There's so many rules to magic I don't understand. Do some magic now, commanded Emmett. Stephanie scowled back at him. I'm not some trained monkey. You can't just order me around like a genie. I'm not here to pull rabbits out of a top hat for your enjoyment. Why are you here? Asked Emmett. Because you need me, responded Stephanie. Someone has to teach you right from wrong. Like, for instance, it's wrong to order people around. You can ask someone politely to do you a favor by saying please, but don't forget to say thank you. Use the magic words. That's lesson one. Emmett saw her tan backpack sitting off to the side and reached for it. Stephanie snatched the backpack from him. Don't touch other people's stuff and keep your hands to yourself. That's lesson two. What's in there? Inquired Emmett. Stuff. Stephanie swung the pack over her shoulders. I have a speeder I call the Blue Dini, and a watch with an invisibility device. What are those? Asked Emmett. Instead of answering, Stephanie sniffed the air with a look of disgust on her face. Learn to bathe and brush your teeth. That's rule three. I'm tired of talking. Which way is the beach? I want to get my tan on before I go back to my fourth period world history class. Just like that, Emmett's life got much more complicated. Chapter, whoop, gotcha. That's where we're going to leave it today. If you liked what you heard today, be sure to pick up a copy of Donna Fabella on Amazon in ebook and paperback for you to delve further into the series. If you've already read Donna Fabella, look out for its sequel, Legends of Fabella, coming whenever I can finish it. Archives of Fabella is created, hosted, and edited by Dylan Foley, with music by Garrett Ferris and audio blocks. As always, look outside of what is possible and think about what might be.